Hello everyone, I'm Jeff Benjamin along with Bruce Kelly for another episode of The Investment News Podcast. This week we're talking to Shane Sedaris, Managing Partner at Synchronous Advisors. We're going to talk about something that uh, I, I kind of learned that Shane is an expert on. Uh, well, I'm calling him an expert because he knows a lot more than me. Maybe that's a low bar, but <laughs> we'll figure that out. Uh, we're talking about inflation bonds or I-bonds as they're called. Uh, these are have gotten wildly popular here toward the end of October because of an interest rate that that resets on November 1st and we're gonna talk about that right now with Shane Shane how you doing thanks for being here hey Jeff very well thank you thank you for having me these I bonds they've been around for a long long time they became popular I guess this year, for the most part, are really popular, I should say, this year, because with inflation, these things adjust, and they reached a, a recent peak of, I think, 9.62% if you bought them before the end of October. Now, if you, and they, that locks in for six months, and then these things adjust every six months. It's a little bit of a complicated formula, which we're going to let you walk us through. But starting November 1st, if you buy them November 1st, you get 6.48, I think. Let's start with that. What's, what's the appeal of these things as investments, as something for your clients? You're a financial advisor. Do you, do you encourage your clients to buy these? Have you bought them yourself? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question because when you, when you just follow social media headlines and, and what's in the news, it seems like I-bonds are the best thing that's ever been invented. And they, they dominate the the media attention right now. And the only thing you ever see is the the 9.62% that you referenced. But there's a lot more under the hood than just that. So a so couple things just to take a step back with how they work. So I-bonds, they're a U.S. savings bond issued by the Treasury. And they were designed to help the end investor protect themselves against inflation. And the way they do that is the I-bond pays an interest that has two components. One is a fixed rate that's set by the Treasury that's currently 0%, and when you buy it, that fixed rate stays with you for however long you hold the bond. The second component is an inflation component, and the way that works is that's tied to the consumer price index, it's CPIU to be precise, and it's based on the last six months of inflation. So what's been happening right now is inflation's very high, so the the inflation portion of that bond is paying very attractive numbers. But there are a couple nuances associated with these. One of them is you can only put 10000 a year into an I-bond. Per person, right? Per person, 10000 per person. You have to hold it for at least a year. And if you, if you sell it within five years, you pay a three-month penalty. So I, like, I own I-bonds. I have nothing against I-bonds. The main gripe that I have is they have a very specific use case. Outside of that, they're probably not too worthwhile in your portfolio. And we can get into the use case if you want. The $10,000 minimum, that's, and you said that you have to hold them for a year. You are, you are completely locked up. There's no way you're getting this money back in the first year, right? No chance. Even if you want to pay a penalty, they're not giving you your money back. But to be clear, you are buying a 30-year bond. You could hold this thing for a long, long time if you wanted to, right? Agreed. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but that equation that you gave as far as how the the yield is set on these, you said one part is the is set at zero and it never changes, and the other part is is pegged to the 
Consumer Price Index. Why have a piece of this that's set to zero and never changes? That seems kind of like a federal government decision. So, so yes, but so that there's the inflation, or sorry, the interest component has two parts. It's a fixed rate and it's an inflation adjusted rate. Both of those reset every six months. Currently, the fixed portion is zero. If you go back in time, that has gone as high as I think it's three or four percent. But currently, the federal government has the fixed portion at zero because the inflation component's so high. But what I was what I was saying is, when you purchase that I bond, even if the fixed portion goes up in the future, you get that fixed portion that you bought forever. So if you buy today, your fixed portion is always going to be zero, and then the inflation one will adjust every six months. Shane, these are fairly recent financial instruments too, right? I mean, savings bonds have been around forever or for however long the Treasury's been backing them, but the I-bonds came out in the 90s, I believe, right? Do you have any background on the history of uh, of that? And So you said it You said it exactly right. Savings bonds were first, uh, first launched during World War II. They were war bonds back then. And I-bonds came out in 1998. And again, it was just designed as a very specific instrument geared to, towards the everyday investor to be able to protect themselves against inflation. If you go on Treasury Direct's website, they actually have a, a relatively easy to digest table that lists every single fixed rate and every single inflation adjusted rate since these I-bonds were launched. Inflation has historically been very low. It's always been somewhere between like, or usually between one to 2% because inflation has been running low for the last couple decades. The fixed portion has ranged from, I believe it's like four to zero percent. And right now we're obviously at zero, but like when they were first launched, the fixed portion was 3.4 percent. What let's talk about the, the way you can buy these. This is the, the the kind of the thing that knots a lot of people up. I, I full disclosure, I purchased one of these things a month or so ago. You have to go to treasurydirect.gov. As I understand it, here in the, the final days while we're of October when we're recording this, this uh, that Treasury Direct website has uh, had a hard time keeping up with demand, right? Yep, you're, you're exactly right. So the only way to purchase these things is through one website. It's treasurydirect.gov. You can't do it from your Fidelity or your Schwab account. And the website's not amazing. If anyone's listening to this and they've been on the website, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's it it looks like a government website straight out of the 90s. They have made some efforts recently to to completely revamp the homepage, which is great. But the moment you log in, you're still back in time, and that still needs to be updated. And you're exactly right. Like the Treasury's come out with a couple stats recently that are just epic. But there's so much demand for these things that their website has crashed. So we're, we are recording this right now, October 27th. The last day to lock in that 9.62% is tomorrow. But if you didn't already do it, it's not looking like you're going to be able to because as of this morning, treasurydirect.gov is completely down. But there are I-bond funds, right? Aren't there mutual funds where you can buy these things or ETFs? There's mutual funds and ETFs for everything. There are not. Oh, really? You, can, you, can, you cannot buy these in any form of a fund. The only way to buy them is in, a, in your own account on treasurydirect.gov. The main, the main reason to, there are a few reasons for that, but the main, a couple of reasons. One, the only custodian is the Treasury Department, so that's not going to work for a lot of the mutual funds. But second, that $10,000 a year limit, 
that would be very complicated for a mutual fund company to monitor too. There's one way into these things. You are uh, apparently the federal government or the treasury is keeping track of when you buy it because you get that yield for six months from the date of purchase and then you adjust into whatever the yield is next. In, in this case, we're at six point something starting in November. Um, <clears throat> break it down for me, Shane, the way that you uh, talk, you, you did when we talked earlier about how where some possible use cases. Let's say you, you're, you got $10,000 sitting there in your bank account for a down payment on a house you're gonna be making or something. You know, you're not getting 9.62% for a year. You're getting it for six months, and then it adjusts to something else. And then because you're taking it out before the first five years, you got to give up three months of interest. So what's your what's your real return on $10,000 if you do that, if you hold it for a year and a day? Yeah, no, it's, it's so important to phrase it that way because the only number that gets publicized is 9.62%. But that is definitely not what you're going to actually be experiencing. So if you did buy an I-bond, let's say in the month of October, you will get that 9.62% that for six months. Or to say that better, you will get half of 9.62% for the next six months. After that, you will get the rate that's about to be announced November 1st, which it looks like that'll be 6.48%. So you'll get half of 6.48% for the next six months. So if you look at that across one year, if you look at the average between 9.62 and 6.48, that is about 8%. But then on top of that, keep in mind, if you plan to use that money on the one-year mark or let's say sometime before the five-year mark, you have to pay a three-month interest penalty too. So if you take the money out on the one-year mark, you're giving up twenty or you're giving up three you're giving up three months of interest. So the actual interest that you're getting is just a hair over 6%. So it's important to not just look at the headline rate, but also figure out what you will be getting over the time that you hold the, the I-bond. So 600 bucks, right? It is, yeah, 600 on, on 10,000. Okay, well, it's not, it's not nothing, but um, it's not gonna probably move you into a bigger house. If, you got, if you're believing that inflation is eventually gonna subside, is it safe to assume that you know buying into this, jumping into this, what I call a teaser rate, is not going to be worth it down the road? Because we're already dropping by, what is that, thirty percent or something? Are we going to see you know in six months from November first, are we looking at like four percent or something? Is there a way to calculate that or factor that in to see if it's even worth your effort? Well, if you know what inflation is going to be in the future, which obviously none of us do that can make your decision that much easier. But like the one thing that we know right now is it's going to be paying 6.48% over the next six months just because inflation's been decelerating. So if it continues to decelerate, that means you're not going to get 6.48, but you're going to get a combination of 6.48 and the next number that's announced in six months from now, which will likely be less than that. So so a lot of it depends on the direction of inflation, and that's why these I-bonds, most people had never heard of I-bonds prior to a year ago. So unless inflation is running really, really hot, I-bonds become just as unattractive as they've always been. And I, I really do feel like we have, we have passed through peak I-bond hysteria. <laughs> and I, I do, I, I do think that it's, it's behind us. And I made this example on Twitter, and a lot of people 
uh, I made a lot of enemies unintentionally, but oh, I... Oh, no enemies? How, you're a nice guy. What are you talking about? <laughs> You'd be surprised. Twitter can be a mean space, Twitter is but... a savage area. Uh, it, but it is, but I compared I don't believe you with... on enemies over there, Shane. <laughs> well, I'll well, just what take a look at my Twitter What did you say on Twitter that, that pissed so many people off? I compared I-bonds with meme stocks and <laughs> NFTs because I do feel if you go back in time... Like at the beginning of 2021, everyone was talking about meme stocks. They're talking about GameStop. They're talking about AMC. And then you fast forward to the beginning of 2022, everyone's talking about, or sorry, later in 2021, they're talking about NFTs. And now all of a sudden, like social media, news headlines everywhere, the conversations are dominated by I-bonds. And as a financial planner, I wish that people spent as much time and as much focus on just about any other area of their financial life than I-bonds, like focus on cash flow management, focus on estate planning, focus on tax planning, focus on anything but I-bonds. Shane, if, if everybody did exactly what they're supposed to do financially, people like you wouldn't have a job, right? So <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't have a job. Jeff and I wouldn't have jobs because we wouldn't, wouldn't right. be talking to you right now. <laughs> but Jeff, you wrote about that. You wrote a story about that, right? About yeah. the meme stock comparison. Right. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I, I got to tell you, I... I didn't agree with your your comparison, but I see where you're going with it. I mean, I I, I read the thread and uh, enjoyed some of the banter, and that's how you and I initially connected. But these are very unique and they're very specific to this particular point in time. And I'm with you when when inflation, whenever the Fed or whoever gets gets ahead of this inflation. These things are going to be less attractive, but people are still going to be getting something, which is a lot more than you were getting a couple of years ago in any kind of a cash management strategy. So anybody that got into them at the higher rate and they, they watched their rate gradually bump down, they're still going to be okay, I think. And we're talking $10,000 here, but you can do, like I said, like you said, $10,000 per person, but it, it is to be clear, it's $10,000 per year per person, right? So People could still sock money into this if they're if they're looking for that. Um, you know, I, I call them relatively illiquid because of the the penalties in the first year lockup. But anyway, one thing I think is interesting, and one reason I'm I'm wondering if some advisors are not the biggest fans of these I bonds is that it might be difficult to charge fees on these assets. Correct. It is. If you are, if you do charge asset-based fees, so your fee schedule is based on the AUM you manage, you won't be able, you likely won't be able to charge on the I-bond. My firm is flat fees, so we charge flat fees regardless of what the accounts you have with us versus other accounts, so that's fine. But as much as I would love to paint financial advisors as these nefarious people, because I like to do that from time to time, I don't think they care about the the whatever fee they're collecting on $10,000. I think the bigger thing they might be focused on is the return on hassle. And like, is it really worth <laughs> opening up another account? Is it really worth like logging in, making sure the, the end investor remembers their password and all of that stuff for a few hundred dollars a year? And the final point is keep in mind, financial advisors, financial planners, for the most part, they are working with higher net worth individuals and if you have a couple million dollars in savings, it's definitely not worth the return on hassle to try to get $400, $500 from a, an I-bond. It's just not. Yeah, that is one thing that you have to keep in mind, that you, 
you buy this thing, you can't even go near it for a year, and then it's the best deal is to probably hold it for at least five years. Meanwhile, you gotta, you know, it's just you and the the treasury. You gotta make sure you keep your password and all that stuff, and and uh, hope that Treasury Direct upgrades their website between now and 2030. All that stuff. <laughs> the the number one complaint I got on Twitter when I compare them to meme stocks is a lot of people said, well, wait a minute, you can lose money, you can lose all your money investing in AMC, but with an iBond, you can't lose money. And two things there. One, I know that. that's I'm not talking about the actual loss of principle because I'm just talking about how much it's being overhyped right now. But then two, keep in mind, you made a very good point right there. If you aren't organized, you can very easily lose track of a treasurydirect.gov account that was never even easy to log in in the first place. And that money could be sitting there for many, many, many years. And if you pass away, like, good luck with that estate executor making sure they remember the treasurydirect.gov account that you had. So there are ways that if you're not careful and not organized to actually lose track of this money over time. Yeah, it's not it's not even connected to your other accounts. It's something out there you've got to have, you know, if you happen to pass away or something, make sure that little detail is in your in your estate plan, I guess. I know that you you invested in them yourself and I'm assuming some of your clients have been have gone down that road as well. Do you anticipate kind of steering people in that direction starting in November when the rate drops by a third? So yes, I have invested in them. I have clients invested in them. They have, what I was saying earlier, they have a very specific use case. And the biggest thing when you when you invest your money, you have to make sure that your portfolio is aligned with your cash flow needs. So just if you take a quick step back, very high level, you have short-term, medium-term, and long-term investments. With an I-bond, short-term investments, it probably doesn't make that much sense because, again, you can't even access that money for a year. So for like an emergency fund, for example, you could put an I-bond in there, but if you have an emergency tomorrow, like you're in trouble. You can't access your money. And some people layer their emergency account, so they might have an I-bond as a portion of it and cash as the rest. If you look at long-term savings, so for like a younger person that's on a, a wealth accumulation journey, an I-bond is a terrible thing there, or at least not a very efficient thing, because just, I, I calculated this last night, but if you'd put $10,000 in that first I-bond that was ever released, you'd have $30,000 today, 31000 today. So you 3X your money. It seems great, right? But if you'd put $10,000 in the S&P 500 on that same day, you'd have $62,000 today. So again, an I-bond is not a good long-term investment. And that S&P number is including the 20% drop that we just had too. So that leaves one other box, that the medium-term box. Can I-bonds fit in there? And the answer is yes. That's why I have some money in there. That's why other people have money in there. If you are planning to pay for a wedding and you know the wedding's taking place in two years from today, like by all means, put some of your money in an I-bond. If you know your child's going to college in a year and a half from today, maybe an I-bond works. If you're going to buy a house in three years, an I-bond might be a great place to put part of the down payment. Good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll keep watching this. Uh, I can't wait to see um, six months from now where the rates are and whether or not people are, are still jumping on these things or trying to sell and giving up that three months of uh, interest. 
I think I'm going to sit tight. I'm going to hang it out. I, I don't know if I'm going to hang out for 30 years, but I'm going to hang out for at least five because I'm kind of a cheapskate and I don't like to lose <laughs> even one month of interest, let alone three. What about you, bros? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I was I was curious, uh, Shane, I was confusing I-bonds. It's just my mistake. I was confusing I-bonds with uh, TIPS, right? Which are mm-hmm. which stands for Treasury Inflation Protected Bonds? Securities. Securities, yep. rather, right? Mm-hmm. And you can... How are the I-bonds... I mean, I-bonds you buy in these small increments once a year, etc. But... Tips are supposed to protect people from inflation, uh, investors from inflation as well, right? Exactly. They work very differently, the two of them, in almost in almost every way. So like I-bonds, the interest that gets paid is based on the inflation rate. With tips, the principal amount actually gets adjusted based off of the inflation rate. And then the interest is based on the principal, so they can keep up with inflation that way. The, the few benefits of tips are you can buy as much as you want. You can buy them anywhere. You can buy them in a fund. You can buy them in your, in your Fidelity brokerage right, account. Right, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. couple cons, though, too. I-bonds, one thing we didn't even talk about is one reason why they are attractive is the tax is deferred until you liquidate the bond or until it matures. So that interest, you don't have to pay tax on every single year. With tips, they're actually a very tax-inefficient vehicle, because you have to pay tax on not only the interest, but the principal adjustment too. So tips generally can work a lot better in a tax-advantaged account than a brokerage account. And tips, they aren't, like, they aren't as attractive right now as I-bonds. They're offering, like I think it's like a one for a 10-year tip. It's like 150 basis points, 160 basis points. Um, that's, that's the real rate. So they don't, they're not nearly as attention or like headline worthy. They don't have that 9.62% attached to them. But tips are an, are an excellent alternative in the right place for the right person as an inflation hedge. Yeah, I think most people would have their money, have their money in their retirement accounts anyway. So you don't have to worry about that income adjustment, as you say, you know. Agreed. If you're in a tax advantaged account, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, just just to note too, an I bond you can never put it in a tax advantaged account, right? Because the only place you can buy it is on TreasuryDirect.gov. Right. Your favorite website. It is. <laughs> it's funny, you know. I I know people like to slam the government, but the Social Security website, which I'm sure is very widely used, if you've been on that recently to check your status or whatever, that seems to be very efficient for me. I don't have experience going on the the, the Treasury's website like you guys do to buy these things but i mean that's the the social security site seems to work well have you have you been up on that chain or yeah you're you're spot on bruce with that because ssa.gov is actually one of the easier websites to navigate i think what's happened is treasurydirect.gov has gotten very little attention over the past couple decades because there's been no inflation so why do people need to buy yeah and and you can buy treasury bills on there you can buy almost every government issued piece of debt on there but the vast majority of people will buy them through their brokerage account and the only thing or the only thing that i can think of that you can't buy through your brokerage account are the savings bonds like ee bonds i bonds and again, no one's cared about those for 20 plus years. <laughs> right. It's right. only right now. So it's possible, like I said, they, they revamp their homepage. It's possible they'll revamp the, the back end too. My guess, they'll do it just in time for people to never go to that site again. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're probably right there. 
like I said, hey, Jeff, have you used the Social Security website? No. Yeah, it's it's pretty efficient, you know. Um, just in case if you were looking at, you know, I, I know you have about 20 years to go before retiring because you're in your you're 39 or so. But it's, it's a pretty efficient place, you know. What do you do there before you retire? You can figure out your ben- your Social Security benefit, basically. Oh. It gives you a history of your earnings and your uh, benefit if you retire, say, at 62 or 65 or 67 or 70, you know, where you are on the spectrum and that kind of thing. It doesn't have, like, a financial planning element, you know, to incorporate your other accounts or anything like that. It's just your Social Security benefit. But it's it seems, it, it seems pretty efficient, Shane, to me. Yeah, and to your point, Bruce, I think everyone, regardless of age— should log on, create an account, and be able to pull their social security statement. It's a nice PDF, and it has all the information that you just listed, but you can get a very good idea of how it works and and what your earnings have to be to be able to have a certain amount of social security when you retire. Yeah, per month. And you, they break it down per year, per month, that kind of thing, too. It's just part of your whole retirement. It's understanding what your retirement benefits are going to look like in the future. All right. Well, maybe I'll I'll have to get on there and figure that out. Of course, then the Social Security would have my email address, and I don't know if I want that. It's it's pretty. I mean, they don't has they don't like hassle you with. I'm kidding, Bruce. They got everything. It's it's it's, uh, it's freaking Social Security. They already got all my. Stuff. I got all they got all your info, but it is uh it is like another it is another password you have to remember. Yeah, and you have oh, to yeah. jot down or whatever. You know, it's just one of those things. But I mean, you know, these it's interesting too because I have the 529 plans for my kids through New York State. That's another interface. That that seems to work reasonably well too. Yeah, Shane Sedaris, good stuff. Thank you very much for walking us through this uh, and giving us some really good insights into I-bonds. And uh, maybe we'll have you back here in six months after they've adjusted the the yield again on these things. And After, see when Shane pisses selling. people off on Twitter again, <laughs> Jeff, we, we have to have him back on, right? Or, yeah, or when you piss somebody off on Twitter, then <laughs> it's, one or both of those things will get you an invite to the Investment News Podcast. I appreciate that. I'll start having more controversial tweets just to try to get an invite sooner. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Shane. Thank you both. Thanks, Jeff. Launching every Monday, that was another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our special guest, of course, Shane Sedaris. We also want to thank our producer, Angelica Hester. You can find the podcast at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher as well. Leave us a review on Apple. Please follow us on Spotify. Reach out to Jeff on Twitter. Uh, His handle is at Benji Ryder. My handle on Twitter is at BD News Guy. Stay tuned, and we'll be talking to you next week.